0: Book 4, Chapter 3 of The History of the Conquest of Mexico. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of the Conquest of Mexico by William H. Prescott. Book 4, Chapter 3. ANXIETY OF CORTES, SEIZURE OF MONTEZUMA, HIS TREATMENT BY THE SPANIARDS, EXECUTION OF HIS OFFICERS, MONTEZUMA IN IRONS, REFLECTIONS. The Spaniards had been now a week in Mexico. During this time they had experienced the most friendly treatment from the Emperor, but the mind of Cortes was far from easy he felt that it was quite uncertain how long this amiable temper would last. A hundred circumstances might occur to change it. He might very naturally feel the maintenance of so large a body too burdensome on his treasury. The people of the capital might become dissatisfied at the presence of so numerous an armed force within their walls. Many causes of disgust might arise betwixt the soldiers and the citizens. Indeed, it was scarcely possible that a rude licentious soldiery like the Spaniards could be long kept in subjection without active employment. The danger was even greater with the Tlascalans, a fierce race now brought into daily contact with the nation who held them in loathing and detestation. Rumours were already rife among the Allies, whether well-founded or not, of murmurs among the Mexicans accompanied by menaces of raising the bridges even should the spaniards be allowed to occupy their present quarters unmolested it was not advancing the great object of the expedition cortez was not a whit nearer gaining the capital so essential to his meditated subjugation of the country and any day he might receive tidings that the crown or what he most feared the governor of cuba had sent a force of superior strength to wrest from him a conquest but half achieved disturbed by these anxious reflections he resolved to extricate himself from his embarrassment by one bold stroke but he first submitted the affair to a council of the officers in whom he most confided desirous to divide with them the responsibility of the Act, and no doubt to interest them more heartily in its execution, by making it in some measure the result of their combined judgments. When the General had briefly stated the embarrassments of their position, the Council was divided in opinion. All admitted the necessity of some instant action. One party were for retiring secretly from the city, and getting beyond the causeways before their march could be intercepted. Another advised that it should be done openly with the knowledge of the Emperor, of whose good will they had had so many proofs. But both these measures seemed alike impolitic. A retreat under these circumstances, and so abruptly made, would have the air of a flight, it would be construed into distrust of themselves, and anything like timidity on their part would be sure not only to bring on them the mexicans but the contempt of their allies who would doubtless join in the general cry as to montezuma what reliance could they place on the protection of a prince so recently their enemy and who in his altered bearing must have taken counsel of his fears rather than his inclinations even should they succeed in reaching the coast Their situation would be little better. It would be proclaiming to the world that, after all their lofty vaunts, they were unequal to the enterprise. Their only hopes of their sovereign's favour, and of pardon for their irregular proceedings, were founded on success. Hitherto they had only made the discovery of Mexico. To retreat would be to leave conquest, and the fruits of it, to another. In short, to stay and to retreat seemed equally disastrous. In this perplexity Cortes proposed an expedient, which none but the most daring spirit in the most desperate extremity would have conceived. This was to march to the royal palace and bring Montezuma to the Spanish quarters, by fair means if they could persuade him, by force if necessary, at all events to get possession of his person. With such a pledge the Spaniards would be secure from the assault of the Mexicans afraid by acts of violence to compromise the safety of their prince if he came by his own consent they would be deprived of all apology for doing so as long as the emperor remained among the spaniards it would be easy by allowing him a show of sovereignty to rule in his name until they had taken measures for securing their safety and the success of their enterprise the idea of employing a sovereign as a tool for the government of his own kingdom if a new one in the age of Cortes, is certainly not so in ours, A plausible pretext for the seizure of the hospitable monarch, for the most barefaced action seeks to veil itself under some show of decency, was afforded by a circumstance of which Cortes had received intelligence at Cholula. He had left, as we have seen, a faithful officer, Juan de Escalante, with a hundred and fifty men in garrison at Veracruz, on his departure for the capital. He had not been long absent when his lieutenant received a message from an Aztec chief named Coahu governor of a district to the north of the Spanish settlement, declaring his desire to come in person and tender his allegiance to the Spanish authorities at Veracruz. He requested that four of the white men might be sent to protect him against certain unfriendly tribes through which his road lay. This was not an uncommon request, and excited no suspicion in escalante the four soldiers were sent and on their arrival two of them were murdered by the false aztec the other two made their way back to the garrison the commander marched at once with fifty of his men and several thousand indian allies to take vengeance on the cacique a pitched battle followed the allies fled from the redoubted mexicans the few spaniards stood firm and with the aid of the firearms and the Blessed Virgin, who was distinctly seen hovering over their ranks in the van, they made good the field against the enemy. It cost them dear, however, since seven or eight Christians were slain, and among them the gallant Escalante himself, who died of his injuries soon after his return to the fort. The Indian prisoners captured in the battle spoke of the whole proceeding as having taken place at the instigation of Montezuma. One of the Spaniards fell into the hands of the natives, but soon after perished of his wounds. His head was cut off, and sent to the Aztec emperor. It was uncommonly large and covered with hair, and as Montezuma gazed on the ferocious features, rendered more horrible by death, he seemed to read in them the dark lineaments of the destined destroyers of his house. He turned from it with a shudder, and commanded that it should be taken from the city, and not offered at the shrine of any of his gods. Although Cortes had received intelligence of this disaster at Cholula, he had concealed it within his own breast, or communicated it to very few only of his most trusty officers, from apprehension of the ill effect it might have on the spirits of the common soldiers. The cavaliers whom Cortes now summoned to the council were men of the same mettle with their leader their bold chivalrous spirit seemed to court danger for its own sake if one or two less adventurous were startled by the proposal he made they were soon overruled by the others who no doubt considered that a desperate disease required as desperate a remedy that night cortez was heard pacing his apartment to and fro like a man oppressed by thought or agitated by strong emotion He may have been ripening in his mind the daring scheme for the morrow. In the morning the soldiers heard mass as usual, and Father Olmedo invoked the blessing of heaven on their hazardous enterprise. Whatever might be the cause in which he was embarked, the heart of the Spaniard was cheered with the conviction that the saints were on his side. Having asked an audience from Montezuma, which was readily granted, the general made the necessary arrangements for his enterprise. The principal part of his force was drawn up in the courtyard, and he stationed a considerable detachment in the avenues leading to the palace, to check any attempt at rescue by the populace. He ordered twenty-five or thirty of the soldiers to drop in at the palace, as if by accident, in groups of three or four at a time, while the conference was going on with montezuma he selected five cavaliers in whose courage and coolness he placed most trust to bear him company pedro de alvarado gonzalo de sandoval francisco de lugo velasquez de leon and alonso de avila brilliant names in the annals of the conquest All were clad, as well as the common soldiers, in complete armour, a circumstance of too familiar occurrence to excite suspicion. The little party were graciously received by the Emperor, who soon, with the aid of interpreters, became interested in a sportive conversation with the Spaniards, while he indulged his natural munificence by giving them presents of gold and jewels he paid the spanish general the particular compliment of offering him one of his daughters as his wife an honour which the latter respectfully declined on the ground that he was already accommodated with one in cuba and that his religion forbade a plurality when cortez perceived that a sufficient number of his soldiers were assembled he changed his playful manner and with a serious tone briefly acquainted montezuma with the treacherous proceedings in the tierra caliente and the accusation of him as their author the emperor listened to the charge with surprise and disavowed the act which he said could only have been imputed to him by his enemies cortez expressed his belief in his declaration but added that, to prove it true, it would be necessary to send for Quaupopoca and his accomplices, that they might be examined and dealt with according to their deserts. To this Montezuma made no objection. Taking from his wrist, to which it was attached, a precious stone, the royal signet, on which was cut the figure of the war-god, he gave it to one of his nobles, with orders to show it to the Aztec governor, and require his instant presence in the capital together with all those who had been accessory to the murder of the Spaniards. If he resisted, the officer was empowered to call in the aid of the neighbouring towns to enforce the mandate. When the messenger had gone, Cortes assured the monarch that this prompt compliance with his request convinced him of his innocence, but it was important that his own sovereign should be equally convinced of it. Nothing would promote this so much as for Montezuma to transfer his residence to the palace occupied by the Spaniards, till on the arrival of Coalpopulca the affair could be fully investigated. Such an act of condescension would of itself show a personal regard for the Spaniards, incompatible with the base conduct alleged against him, and would fully absolve him from all suspicion. Montezuma listened to this proposal, and the flimsy reasoning with which it was covered, with looks of profound amazement. He became pale as death, but in a moment his face flushed with resentment, as, with the pride of offended dignity, he exclaimed, When was it ever heard that a great prince like myself voluntarily left his own palace to become a prisoner in the hands of strangers? Cortes assured him he would not go as a prisoner, he would experience nothing but respectful treatment from the Spaniards, would be surrounded by his own household, and hold intercourse with his people as usual. In short, it would be but a change of residence, from one of his palaces to another, a circumstance of frequent occurrence with him. It was in vain. If I should consent to such a degradation, he answered, my subjects never would. When further pressed, he offered to give up one of his sons and of his daughters to remain as hostages with the Spaniards, so that he might be spared this disgrace. Two hours passed in this fruitless discussion, till a high-mettled cavalier Velasquez de Leon, impatient of the long delay, and seeing that the attempt, if not the deed, must ruin them, cried out, Why do we waste words on this barbarian? We have gone too far to recede now. "'Let us seize him, and if he resists, plunge our swords into his body.' The fierce tone and menacing gestures with which this was uttered alarmed the monarch, who inquired of Marina what the angry Spaniard said. The interpreter explained it in as gentle a manner as she could, beseeching him to accompany the white men to their quarters, where he would be treated with all respect and kindness, while to refuse them would but expose himself to violence." perhaps to death. Marina, doubtless, spoke to her sovereign as she thought, and no one had better opportunity of knowing the truth than herself. This last appeal shook the resolution of Montezuma. It was in vain that the unhappy prince looked around for sympathy or support. As his eyes wandered over the stern visages and iron forms of the Spaniards, he felt that his hour was indeed come, AND WITH A VOICE SCARCELY AUDIBLE FROM EMOTION, HE CONSENTED TO ACCOMPANY THE STRANGERS, TO QUIT THE PALACE, WHITHER HE WAS NEVER MORE TO RETURN. HAD HE POSSESSED THE SPIRIT OF THE FIRST Montezuma, HE WOULD HAVE CALLED HIS GUARDS AROUND HIM, AND LEFT HIS LIFE-BLOOD ON THE THRESHOLD, SOONER THAN HAVE BEEN DRAGGED A DISHONOURED CAPTIVE ACROSS IT. BUT HIS COURAGE SANK UNDER THE CIRCUMSTANCES. HE FELT HE WAS THE INSTRUMENT OF AN IRRESISTIBLE FATE. No sooner had the Spaniards got his consent than orders were given for the royal litter. The nobles who bore and attended it could scarcely believe their senses when they learnt their master's purpose. But pride now came to Montezuma's aid, and since he must go, he preferred that it should appear to be with his own free will. As the royal retinue, escorted by the Spaniards, marched through the street with downcast eyes and dejected mien, the people assembled in crowds, and a rumour ran among them that the emperor was carried off by force to the quarters of the white men. A tumult would have soon arisen but for the intervention of Montezuma himself, who called out to the people to disperse as he was visiting his friends of his own accord, thus sealing his ignominy by a declaration which deprived his subjects of the only excuse for resistance on reaching the quarters he sent out his nobles with similar assurances to the mob and renewed orders to return to their homes he was received with ostentatious respect by the spaniards and selected the suite of apartments which best pleased him they were soon furnished with fine cotton tapestries feather-work and all the elegancies of indian upholstery he was attended by such of his household as he chose his wives and his pages and were served with his usual pomp and luxury at his meals he gave audience as in his own palace to his subjects who were admitted to his presence few indeed at a time under the pretext of greater order and decorum from the spaniards themselves he met with a formal deference no one not even the general himself approached him without doffing his cask and rendering the obeisance due to his rank nor did they ever sit in his presence, without being invited by him to do so. With all this studied ceremony and show of homage, there was one circumstance which too clearly proclaimed to his people that their sovereign was a prisoner. In the front of the palace a patrol of sixty men was established, and the same number in the rear. Twenty of each corps mounted guard at once, maintaining a careful watch day and night another body under command of Velasquez de leon was stationed in the royal antechamber cortes punished any departure from duty or relaxation of vigilance in these sentinels with the utmost severity he felt as indeed every spaniard must have felt that the escape of the emperor now would be their ruin yet the task of this unintermitting watch sorely added to their fatigues better this dog of a king should die cried a soldier one day than that we should wear out our lives in this manner the words were uttered in the hearing of montezuma who gathered something of their import and the offender was severely chastised by order of the general such instances of disrespect however were very rare Indeed, the amiable deportment of the monarch, who seemed to take pleasure in the society of his jailers, and who never allowed a favour or attention from the meanest soldier to go unrequited, inspired the Spaniards with as much attachment as they were capable of feeling for a barbarian. Things were in this posture when the arrival of Cuaupoca from the coast was announced. He was accompanied by his son and fifteen Aztec chiefs he had travelled all the way borne as became his high rank in a litter on entering montezuma's presence he threw over his dress the coarse robe of Nequen, and made the usual humiliating acts of obeisance the poor parade of courtly ceremony was the more striking when placed in contrast with the actual condition of the parties the aztec governor was coldly received by his master who referred the affair had he the power to do otherwise, to the examination of Cortes. It was doubtless conducted in a sufficiently summary manner. To the general's query, whether the cacique was the subject of Montezuma, he replied, and what other sovereign could I serve, implying that his sway was universal. He did not deny his share in the transaction, nor did he seek to shelter himself under the royal authority Till sentence of death was passed on him and his followers, when they all laid the blame of their proceedings on Montezuma. They were condemned to be burnt alive in the area before the palace. The funeral piles were made of heaps of arrows, javelins, and other weapons, drawn by the emperor's permission from the arsenals around the great Teocalli, where they had been stored to supply means of defence in times of civic tumult or insurrection. By this politic precaution, Cortés proposed to remove a ready means of annoyance in case of hostilities with the citizens. To crown the whole of these extraordinary proceedings, Cortés, while preparations for the execution were going on, entered the Emperor's apartment, attended by a soldier bearing fetters in his hands with a severe aspect he charged the monarch with being the original contriver of the violence offered to the spaniards as was now proved by the declaration of his own instruments such a crime which merited death in a subject could not be atoned for even by a sovereign without some punishment so saying he ordered the soldier to fasten the fetters on montezuma's ankles he coolly waited till it was done then turning his back on the monarch quitted the room. Montezuma was speechless under the infliction of this last insult. He was like one struck down by a heavy blow that deprives him of all his faculties. He offered no resistance, but though he spoke not a word, low, ill-suppressed moans from time to time intimated the anguish of his spirit. His attendants, bathed in tears, offered him their consolations. They tenderly held his feet in their arms, and endeavoured, by inserting their shawls and mantles, to relieve them from the pressure of the iron. But they could not reach the iron which had penetrated into his soul. He felt that he was no more a king. Meanwhile the execution of the dreadful doom was going forward in the courtyard. The whole Spanish force was under arms, to check any interruption that might be offered by the Mexicans. But none was attempted— THE populace GAZED IN SILENT WONDER, REGARDING IT AS THE SENTENCE OF THE EMPEROR. THE MANNER OF THE EXECUTION, TOO, EXCITED LESS SURPRISE FROM THEIR FAMILIARITY WITH SIMILAR SPECTACLES, AGGRAVATED, INDEED, BY ADDITIONAL HORRORS IN THEIR OWN DIABOLICAL SACRIFICES. THE AZTEC LORD AND HIS COMPANIONS, BOUND HAND AND FOOT TO THE BLAZING PILES, SUBMITTED WITHOUT A CRY OR A COMPLAINT TO THEIR TERRIBLE FATE. Passive fortitude is the virtue of the Indian warriors, and it was the glory of the Aztec, as of the other races on the North American continent, to show how the spirit of the brave man may triumph over torture and the agonies of death. When the dismal tragedy was ended, Cortez re-entered Montezuma's apartment. Kneeling down, he unclasped his shackles with his own hand, expressing at the same time his regret that so disagreeable a duty as that of subjecting him to such a punishment had been imposed on him. This last indignity had entirely crushed the spirit of Montezuma, and the monarch, whose frown but a week since, would have made the nations of Anahuac tremble to their remotest borders, was now craven enough to thank his deliverer for his freedom, as for a great and unmerited boon not long after the spanish general conceiving that his royal captive was sufficiently humbled expressed his willingness that he should return if he inclined to his own palace montezuma declined it alleging it is said that his nobles had more than once importuned him to resent his injuries by taking arms against the spaniards and that were he in the midst of them it would be difficult to avoid it or to save his capital from bloodshed and anarchy the reason did honour to his heart, if it was the one which influenced him. It is probable that he did not care to trust his safety to those haughty and ferocious chieftains who had witnessed the degradation of their master, and must despise his pusillanimity as a thing unprecedented in an Aztec monarch. Whatever were his reasons, it is certain that he declined the offer, and the general, in a well-feigned or real ecstasy, embraced him, declaring that he loved him as a brother, and that every Spaniard would be zealously devoted to his interests, since he had shown himself so mindful of theirs. Honeyed words! Which, says the shrewd old chronicler who was present, Montezuma was wise enough to know the worth of. The events recorded in this chapter are certainly some of the most extraordinary on the page of history that a small body of men, like the Spaniards, should have entered the palace of a mighty prince, have seized his person in the midst of his vassals, have borne him off a captive to their quarters, that they should have put to an ignominious death before his face his high officers, for executing probably his own commands, and have crowned the whole by putting the monarch in irons like a common malefactor, that this should have been done, not to a drivelling dotard in the decay of his fortunes, but to a proud monarch in the plenitude of his power, in the very heart of his capital, surrounded by thousands and tens of thousands who trembled at his nod, and would have poured out their blood like water in his defence, that all this should have been done by a mere handful of adventurers is a thing too extravagant, altogether too improbable, for the pages of romance. It is, nevertheless literally true and of book four chapter three